It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large group of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Again, Father God, we pray at this time that, God, you would work through your Holy Holy Spirit so that we uh, would understand this text rightly. God, as we open up your word, um, the things that you have for us tonight are some of the most central and yet maybe the most difficult things for us to actually live out in our daily lives in many ways. Uh, Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts, um, that you would awaken us, God, that you would change us, that you would shape us in these things. God, that these would not be words that we reject. They would not even be words that we agree with and then deny in our lives, God, but that they would be things that we um, assimilate, God, that that we live out and that we um, engage with the world around us in light of, because it is the way that you have treated us in Jesus Christ. Um, Father, we cannot do that but by the Holy Spirit. We cannot understand it rightly, and we cannot live it out, but by the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would move in our lives, um, that you would make us like Jesus Christ in all things. We ask this in his name. Amen. Okay, so in the last few weeks, um, we have hit on several calling stories, right, in the Gospel of Luke, okay? Um, And you could say Jesus has been calling people to himself who are, unlikely, right? The people who he has called to himself were unlikely people. So first we saw Jesus calling of Peter. Um, Peter's problem, if you remember, was basically that he was not particularly qualified to, to be a disciple, at least, at least from the outside. He was not a spiritual superstar, okay? In any kind of, uh, of way. Um, not particularly pious, not particularly faithful, not particularly devoted to God, at least from what we see in in the passage. We mentioned how his brother, Andrew, had sort of left the family business and had gone to follow John the Baptist, right, to be a disciple of John the Baptist. And so, again, from what little we know about them, it, it, it probably seems to be the case that Andrew fit the bill of the kind of person you would expect to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, right? He was already somebody who was spiritually devout and and, and had set his life apart to to pursue spiritual things. Um, Jesus invites Andrew to be a disciple also, but he also invites Peter. And so again, Peter doesn't seem like he fits the bill. Pretty much every religion in the world when you think about what a spiritual person looks like, right? If you're thinking about somebody who is going to go into ministry or go into the priesthood or go into the, uh, to the monastic life or go into um, any of those kind of ideas, most religions have an idea that, well, that will be a person who is somehow spiritually better than other people, right? Somebody who has spiritually cleaned themselves up and attained a certain level and then piously steps into this role as, as an official, um, uh, servant of God in, in that religious tradition, right? Clean your life up first, and then you go to God. But that's not what we see 
in as a follower of Jesus. That's not the picture that is displayed. Jesus says, no, you come now and I'll clean you up, right? You come now and I'll welcome you and I'll qualify you and I'll give you a life and I'll give you a calling. And that's what he does with Peter, right? And Peter recognizes that. That idea is very closely related to what we're talking about today, but a little bit different, okay? So hold on to that. Then the next story we saw was Jesus cleansing of the leper. And the leper, for his part, um, in, in the picture that we saw of him was, was very pious and very devout, right? Um, he is a person who comes humbly, bowing before Jesus with respect and deference and, and most importantly, faith, right? He comes believing that Jesus can save him if he will. If you remember, we talked about that. Um, again, the leper from what little we know of him doesn't have Peter's unqualified problems, but he has his own issues when it comes to to being a potential disciple of Jesus. He bears the stigma of some taboo um, to that community, right? So in his case, it's leprosy. Um, He's somebody who people don't want to be around because of something about him, because he is unclean, because he is an outsider. Right. Okay. And so we see both these kind of calling stories. He, the the leper is a person who is, is, um, to reach out to him, right. To enter into his life, both physically and symbolically means you're going to get some of his dirty on you. Right. You're going to get some of his grossness on you. Right. So therefore he's taboo. You've got to keep that person at bay, even though he seems to be faithful and pious and devout um, and believing. He's still somebody that for some reason is, is an outsider. Okay. Here's the thing. I think the case is, is that both those two people, Peter and the leper, we can see ourselves in, in some ways. Right. So I think we can look at our own lives and we can say, I can see um, that I'm not as committed as I should be, just like Peter, right? And and I also can see that sometimes I'm a bit of a mess, right, just like the leper. And so we can read those stories, and we can think of these ways in which Jesus reaches out in grace to both of these two men, and we can go, yeah, I, I can see myself in those stories, which makes it easier to understand mercy, right? It makes it easier not only for us to understand the mercy that Jesus has shown us, but I think it also makes it easier for us to show that kind of mercy to other people, right? It's easier to show mercy to people who just don't have it together sometimes or people who are a little weird or dirty or taboo or outside of, of the, the, the center of, of belief and, and practice and stuff, right? Like people who are outsiders. We, we can get how you can show mercy more easily to those kind of people because we are those kind of people. Then we get to this passage. Um, and in grand Jesus style, um, he turns it up another notch with this calling story. Building on those two calling stories, though, right? So look at verse 27. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So the, the, the man's name is Levi. Okay. Levi's got two names. If you've, if you've been in the church and read your Bible for a little while, you probably know that he is Matthew and he is also Levi. It's interesting those two names and what they mean. First off, Levi means joining. 
or attached to, all right, which is interesting when you talk about this idea of calling, Jesus calling this guy named Levi. He's joining Jesus. He's attaching to him. Matthew is the Greek version of a Hebrew name that is Matis Yahu. Does anybody know the, the, the rapper, reggae rapper Matis Yahu? Does anybody know? Does anybody, a couple people know him, right? Okay, there's this, there's current now, not like back then. Right now, there's a rapper named Matis Yahu, right? His name's actually Matthew. He's just using the Hebrew version of, of, uh, um, of the name, right? But that name means gift of God. All right. Matthew means gift of God, which again is, is, is very important in the context of this passage, I think. Levi, Matthew is definitely unqualified like Peter. Okay. There's nothing in particular pious or devout about Levi. And he is taboo also. Right. There's something about Matthew, uh, Matthew, um, that even to be around him, right? Even to sit at a table and have a meal with him in the Jewish culture would have defiled you, right? You would not have been clean. You would have had to go somewhere. Um, I mean, you had to go through different procedures to get clean before you could go sacrifice and, and offer offerings and all that stuff, right? So Levi is both unqualified and taboo, but he's more than that too. There's something else about Levi. Levi is not just an outsider. He's not just unqualified. He's a bad guy, all right? He is not just a bad guy. He is the bad guy in this context. He is the enemy. Levi is an oppressor. Levi is a traitor to his own people. He exploits uh, his power to hurt other people. Power that has been given to him by the greater oppressor, the empire of Rome, right? The power he wields, he wields against his own people. And so he's a traitor, right? He is a bad guy in every context that you can think of in the Jewish world. And yet, Jesus calls him anyway. And I love when you read this passage, the bare, the starkness of it. There's not a lot of detail. It's very uh, blatant and straightforward, right? So watch what it says again. It says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said, right? No context. We don't know who this guy is. We don't know about his life. We don't know how Jesus knows him. We don't, maybe he doesn't know it. We don't know any context. Okay. Why so sparse? Some of these other stories, man, we got a lot of information about Peter. We got all this sort of narrative and, and we saw a little bit of Peter's character and internal stuff. How come we don't have that with Levi? How come that's not going on? I think it's intentional. Okay. And this is why we don't get that much. Okay. This is not a diamond in the rough story. This is not a story about, oh, Matthew, you know, he's a, he's a good guy deep down. And Jesus sees that. He sees inside Matthew. He knows that if he could just get Matthew away from the, the junk in his life, that he's a good guy and he wants to do the right thing. That's not what we see in this passage, right? It's, it's not a situation where, where you have this guy who maybe has this hard exterior shell right? That Jesus has to get through. It's not even like the other story of the other famous tax collector in the gospels, who is 
Zacchaeus, right? We remember the story of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is what? Zacchaeus is a wee little man, right? Okay, and so if Zacchaeus is a wee little man, he may have just been short, or he may have actually been somebody who who had dwarfism or something. We don't know, right? But he's a little dude, okay? And so we know what he probably had to go through as a as a younger man, right? He was probably made fun of and picked on and mocked and ridiculed. And so then when we read the story of Zacchaeus, we can go, yeah, man, he he was picked on all his life. So he took a job that he could get a little bit of revenge on these people who had treated him like garbage all his life. And so there's just a little bit of us that we sort of go, yeah, I get it with Zacchaeus. We don't get any of that background. We don't even get any of that in the story of Levi, right? All we know about Levi is one thing. He is a tax collector. That's it, okay? And again, a hated tax collector. He's the bad guy. He's the enemy. Tax collectors were grouped in with murderers, with robbers, it was okay in Jewish culture to lie to a tax collector to keep from having to pay him money, okay? So think about that for a second. The Jewish people said you could break the Ten Commandments as long as it was with a tax collector. Tax collectors couldn't be trusted. They couldn't be believed. So, as a consequence, tax collectors couldn't testify in court. You didn't, you never went into some kind of contract, even if it was written in binding with a tax collector because, because their word wasn't good. They couldn't hold communal offices in a community because they couldn't be trusted, right? Again, these guys are the worst of the worst in their communities. And yet, Jesus calls him anyway. And then it gets worse, at least for Jesus, I guess you could say, because the offensiveness of Jesus calling Levi is made manifest by what happens next in verse 29. Matthew invites all his tax collector buddies and, and prostitutes and, and highwaymen and sinners and outcasts, all of the bad guys of the community, and they all have a big feast in Jesus' honor. Verse 29, Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the tax teacher, uh, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Okay. Um, why is, why is such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that Jesus would eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, we've already talked about it a little bit, right? It could be argued that the two biggest virtue signaling ways in the Jewish community had to do with Sabbath observance and table fellowship, right? The way you presented to your community that you were the right kind of person was by what you did on the Sabbath or, or more probably precisely what you didn't do on the Sabbath and who you shared your table with, okay? Those were like the two main things, they're the primary way that a Jewish person would sort of demonstrate their righteousness on a weekly basis in, in the Pharisaic tradition anyway. Jesus is eating with the enemy, right? He's having a meal and sitting down to fellowship with his enemy, the worst kind of people in their community. And again, for the Jews, that said something about Jesus' character, right? Not just about those tax collectors. It said something about Jesus' character character in that, in that context. 
Here's the cool thing, and I, I've mentioned this before. The theme of table fellowship in the book of Luke is one of the coolest things to do a little do a little Bible study on, okay? The idea, what, this is what you notice, and, and some commentators even think this is like the main interpretive framework for the book of Luke. Ten times throughout the book of Luke, he zooms in on a story where Jesus is eating with people, okay? Ten times. It's more than the other gospel writers. Luke seems to have a particular interest on who Jesus shares his meals with, okay? And that's that's a big deal, again, because of what we're talking about. Each one of those stories, all ten of them in, in the gospel of Luke, each have their own point. They, they, they show something about Jesus and his ministry and his kingdom in a, in a unique way. But it's a cool study to do, to go through and, and look at all these different um, table fellowships, right? In a, in a broad sense, obviously, we can't talk about all those right now, although we will talk about them as we continue through um, the Gospel of Luke. Jesus basically demonstrates in those passages the power and the intimacy of welcoming people into your home or being welcomed into their homes and sharing a meal and having conversation with them. So here's the deal, and I've, and I've said this before, um, and yet it's something that I think certainly in my life and probably in your life um, maybe hasn't changed since the last time I said it. There's a lot of things going on in our society right now, right, that having a meal with somebody won't fix, okay? There are larger issues of justice that have to be dealt with. But I do believe this. We are an incredibly segregated society, right? We just are. All right. Um, we are segregated in all of the closest intimate relationships of our lives. Okay. So what I mean by that is in general, and obviously this doesn't apply to every single one of us, but for most of us, our families, our churches, our neighborhoods, and our best friends look a whole lot like us. And that goes across the board, honestly, right? Racially. Oftentimes politically, national identity, ideologically, we are, are homogenous. When we are segregated and things are good, that feels like otherness, right? So it just feels like you go, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm separated from this other kind of person, but it's not bad, they're just different. We just don't have much in common or something like that. So we do our own thing, okay? It just feels like otherness. But when the tension breaks, right, and something bad happens, that otherness shifts very quickly. And all of a sudden, the person you're talking to or about is no longer just different. They're the enemy, okay? And I think we see that across the board. Obviously, we're seeing it some ways racially right now in our country. But we've been seeing it for a long time politically, Right. So that person who has the rant on Facebook, you after you read it, you don't think, hmm, I'd like to sit down and talk to that person about this sometimes. That's not what you think. Right. You go, I can't believe the idiots in this world. Right. That's the way that's what you think. We, we respond to it, not in a well, they're just different from me. They just think about things different, right? All of a sudden, they're the bad guy. They're the reason this country is the way it is. They're the reason that things aren't like they used to be or something like that, right? 
the Pharisees see Levi as the bad guy. And good guys don't hang out with bad guys. We separate ourselves from them. But Jesus doesn't see it that way, right? Jesus doesn't think, at least in this passage, of Levi as a bad guy. In fact, notice what he does. He changes the illustration. He changes the illustration of, of, of Levi being a traitor and an enemy of the Jewish people. And the metaphor becomes that of being something else. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All of a sudden, Levi is a, a sick person, right? Tax collectors are sick. Prostitutes are sick. Highwaymen are sick. And Jesus says, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be somebody who helps, you have to be around sick people, right? And a doctor who is uninterested in being around sick people isn't one. And so if you want to be a doctor, cancel culture doesn't work, right? If you want to be a doctor, unfriend me culture doesn't work. If you want to be a doctor, catch me outside, how about that, doesn't work. Okay? You can't, you can't have that attitude, okay? On any of these things. Jesus came for the enemy, okay? Not just for the outcast and not just for the unqualified. He came for the enemy. Alright? But, but, but be careful about your next thought, okay? And I, and I'll kind of close on this because there's two things that are going to happen immediately. First off, there's this thing immediately that we sort of go, okay, cool. What would it look like for me to love my enemy? Okay, and we kind of think about it. But I think rarely it plays out, and this is the reason why. Because I think this is about the hardest thing to do in the Christian faith. On one side, it seems so upfront and obvious and easy, right? Of course, Christians love their enemies. That's what Jesus told us to do, okay? And I would say in practice... It is the thing that we never do, okay? We love, uh, some of you guys studied C.S. Lewis's uh, um, screw tape letters with us, and he makes a great comment in there where he says, we end up loving hypothetical enemies in other places, right? So you go, oh, yeah, I could love uh, an Iranian terrorist or, or militant or something that I've never met and will never have anything to do with me. I could show love and compassion to that person. But my next-door neighbor who's kind of a jerk and keeps on letting his dog bark all night, man, forget that guy right? We end up, our, our love for people as an abstract is, is we're, we're, we're very magnanimous in those things, right? But when it comes to actually doing it and living it out, man, all of a sudden it gets, a, it's, it's a whole lot harder. I think this is like next level, uh, 400 level Christianity, okay? Right? This is not intro level. This is not Christianity 101, all right? It should be, but it never plays out that way in our lives. And this is the reason why. Think about it. I Man, think about the way we think about stuff, okay? When you get into an argument with somebody, when you are confronted with an enemy, what is what does biology teach us? Biology teaches us that we have two responses to it. What is that when we encounter an enemy? We have fight or flight, right? That's our natural responses, okay? 
I think most of us still live in the flesh on those issues. When you encounter an enemy, what do you do? You say, I ain't got time for that. Unfriend me, cancel, whatever. Or you say, catch me outside, right? Okay, you say, I will fight you. I'll argue with you. Me and you will get into this thing right now. And I'll defend my position violently and I'll attack and whatever, or I'm going to run. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And I'm going to go to a safe place that I don't have to deal with these things, right? None of those two options have to do with staying in the situation and loving your enemy rightly with the intention of bringing them to repentance. We don't do that because that's living by the spirit. It's not living by the flesh. And again, I think what happens is even though as believers, we would look at these situations, most of the time we are living like the flesh and not like the spirit. Because to live in the spirit requires sacrifice. It requires dying to yourself. It requires being like Jesus and recognizing literally or at least figuratively, this relationship will probably get me crucified, right? If I keep on sticking with this person or these people, it's probably going to mean my death. And we don't want to do that. I don't want to die, or at least I'm not going to die fight, not fighting, right? Or I'm going to run away and, and, and save myself for a better day. It's hard. And so that's the first thing. It seems easy in concept, but it's, but it's not. Okay. And so again, think of it maybe as another illustration. If you've ever come upon an animal that's in a trap, Right? If you've ever come upon like a, like a coyote that's gotten caught in a trap or something like that, that's probably a bad illustration because I would probably shoot the coyote. But, okay, like it was an animal that wasn't supposed to be in the trap, right? You know what's going to happen. You're going to try to help that animal and it's not going to have any of it, right? It is going to think you are there to hurt it and kill it because it's already in a combative attitude and you have to walk into the situation going, you know, it's probably, I'm going to do what's best for this animal but it's probably going to get me bit. It's probably going to get me hurt in the process. And so you have to make a decision right there to either say it's worth it. I love this other person enough to get hurt. Or you have to say, nah, it's not my problem. I didn't put them in the trap. I'm going somewhere else. That's the first thing. Here's the other thing. Don't forget this, right? Not for a second. In all of these situations, you're the bad guy. Okay? All these stories, right, we listen to them and we go, oh, yeah, like, how could I be Jesus in this situation? And as spirit-filled people who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have to think that way. We are called to think that way. We are called to be Christ in people's lives, okay? But also, don't forget that you're the bad guy in the story. You're not Jesus in the story. You're Levi in the story. You're the enemy. You're the rebel. You're the traitor. You're the murderer. You're the racist. You're the rioter. You're the looter. You are those people in a spiritual context. Jesus is the hero. And Jesus is the one who is coming and sacrificing his life to save your life when you deserved nothing. So I've been talking about, and on Facebook and stuff like that, I've been talking about The Chosen recently, right? That The TV series, some of you have seen it. 
Um, it's a, it's a, it's an online TV series about the life of Jesus. And this story, The Calling of Matthew, is one of the episodes. And, and the, the series is a little odd in some ways. Um, I love it. I, I, it, I think it works or whatever, but there's, there's, there's some oddities to it in some ways, but I love the scene in The Calling of Matthew. And so again, it happens in the, in the, in the TV show, just like it happens on here. Jesus is walking down the road and he sees Matthew, his tax collector booth, and he just turns around and he looks up at him and he says, he's not really had a relationship with him. He doesn't have any context. They just are aware of each other's existence. And he says, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, follow me. And Matthew gets out to leave. And then they add some stuff from Peter's perspective. Peter walks up to Jesus and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? Who is this guy? Like, we know who he is. He's the bad guy. What are you doing? Why are you calling this guy? And Jesus, he, he says something like, uh, do you even know him? And Jesus says, yep, I know him. Because Jesus knows that he's supposed to be one of his disciples. And then Peter says, I don't get it. And Jesus says, you didn't get it when I chose you either. And then Peter says, yeah, but that was different. Or he says, yeah, but this is different. And then Jesus says, get used to different. Man, that's what we're talking about. It seems crazy and foolish to give our lives for our enemies. It seems crazy and foolish to think that way. But that's what Jesus has come to do. He came to call the enemy regardless. Not because he saw anything in them. Not because he knew deep down that they wanted to do the right thing. Just like we read in Romans a few minutes ago. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies to God, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son. Here's the deal. You were sitting in a tax collector booth doing your thing, minding your own business. And Jesus walked up out of nowhere and said, follow me. And his grace changed your heart and you followed him. And what we realize is that maybe extending that grace to somebody else might change their heart too. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we need you. We need your word, your grace, your love, your Holy Spirit working in our lives to be these people. God, we need you forming us. God, we need you to help us to lay down our own lives. God, to look at people that we disagree with and say that person is worth sacrificing for. That person is worth being gracious to. That person is worth sitting down at a meal or sitting down in, in, a, in a restaurant, God. Sitting down in a park and having a conversation with, knowing that we're going to get bit sometimes. But God, you have suffered. 
you have sacrificed. God, you have borne the greatest violence and the greatest attack in your own flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. You have received the violence and the evil of the world in a way that we could not even fathom. And you did that because of your great love for us. You did that because you loved us and you called us and you wanted us to be your people. God, help us to love others in the way that Christ has loved us. We ask these things in his precious and holy name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. It was good to see everybody. Amy, thank you. It's good to have you up here, um, especially on songs like that. You know, you got a two-part song. You need a lady up here to sing that other part. So thanks for thanks for serving and 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 being a part of that. Um, guys, continue to pray for our country. Um, continue to pray for all of it because there's any number of things going on right now, right? Um, Here's this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.